1: I am J.A. Lovelock, a barrister, an author but most importantly, a crime junkie. Welcome to my podcast, Behind the Yellow Tape. If I can't have her, then no one else will. An idle threat? Let's find out. I'm sure we've all heard that these are the words spoken by a man who had the intention to take out an ex-partner if he believed his former partner left him, or show any romantic interest in someone else. In this episode, I will be looking at two cases of which two men's fate were decided on the same day. Rather unusual, as the cases were unrelated. The first case of this deadly duo is that of John James Thornley, John Thornley was heard to say these immortal words, if I can't have her, then no one else will. Really. Let's get the backstory. John James Thornley was a 26-year-old man, and in 1915, he was employed as a railway lampman for the North Staffordshire Railway Company. At some point in time, he was engaged to 24-year-old Frances Johnson for two and a half years, until they had a quarrel, and Frances returned the engagement ring back to John. The engagement was off, and John was not too happy about this state of affairs. He was later heard to say that if I couldn't have her, then no one else will. So what did John Thornley have in mind? What exactly did he mean by that? Well, what we do know is that this statement set in motion a chain of events. On the evening of the 17th of September 1915, Francis Johnson and her 17-year-old housemate had spent the evening at the theatre.
0: On their way to the theatre, they
1: saw John Thornley standing nearby. And they later saw him again in the theatre. And then again, they saw him on the way home in Brook Street, close to where they lived. Today, we might call that stalking? Well, it could be a coincidence. But it does seem a little strange that John Thornley, the ex-fiancé, just keeps showing up wherever Francis seems to be.
0: Then things took a
1: turn. On that same night of the 17th of September, 1915, while Francis' parents had gone off on holiday to Cleethorpes, John Thornley broke into Francis' home at 140 Devonport Street in Macclesfield. He had gone round the back of the house, scaled the wall and broke in through the back window. Before I tell you what happened next, let me tell you that Francis normally sleeps in the same room with another girl. They had been sleeping together until the 17th of September. When for some strange reason, Francis asked the girl to sleep in the front room, whilst she, Francis, would sleep in the back bedroom, Who knows why she chose to do that? And more importantly, did John Thornley gain knowledge of that? And if so, how? Whatever the answer to these burning questions, it turned out to be a bad decision for Frances. Because on the morning of the 18th of September, poor Frances was found dead in her bedroom, this back bedroom covered in blood Her arms were slashed, she had head wounds, and her throat was cut, and a pillow was placed on her face. A pillow placed over her face. It is said that's a sure sign that the victim was known to the killer, and the killer can't bear to see the victim's face. And strangely enough, Frances was found with a shoemaker's knife clasped in her hand, which was thought to be the murder weapon.
0: Now, who do you think committed this murder
1: of Frances Johnson while she was asleep? The obvious suspect was John Thornley, of course, the ex fiance. In a way, he put himself in the frame because when Frances's body was discovered, there was a note found in her bedroom addressed to her parents, which read, Dear Pa and Ma, I told you I would kill or
0: cure Frances, and I have done it. And the note goes on to say, I hope you will forgive me for breaking God's holy law.
1: So there you go, a confession But having confessed to the crime, he was not a man to turn himself in quietly. No. He made good his escape. First by discarding his coat on a towpath near the Buxton Road Bridge before jumping into the nearby canal. He didn't drown. Because he was later seen by two witnesses, the licensee of a local public house, the Puss in Boots, and by a boatman from Jolston, who saw a man without a hat or a coat walking along the towpath towards Hertzfield Bridge. Remember John Thornley had discarded his coat along the towpath. John Thornley, being the suspect, was arrested two days later at a farm in High Pointon. All said and done, John James Thornley was tried and convicted of Francis Johnson, his former fiancee's, a murder. And he was sentenced to death,
0: as to be expected. Now you would think that that would be the end of that. But not so. Oh, no. On the 16th of November, 1915,
1: John Thornley appealed his sentence of death, saying that although his defense team had put forward a plea of insanity, which, they thought was the only sane defence they could raise. He's now saying, mm, wait for it, that he had not in fact committed a crime. Mm, So what now? Suffice it to say, the appeal judges threw that crazy idea out of the window. They had no doubt that it was John James Thornley who had written the note, that confession note, stating that he had killed Francis. And he was seen in the house, going upstairs
0: to Francis's room.
1: And not only that, he had had a fair trial, no question about that. And so his fate
0: was sealed. On the 1st of December,
1: 1915, John James Thornley was hanged, by his namesake, John Ellis, at Liverpool Prison.
0: But he was not the only convict
1: to be hanged on that day at Liverpool Prison. No, there was another one. There was Young Hill. Young being his real first name. Young Hill was a 28-year-old cattleman Two specific things stand out about him, which gives a little twist to this case. Firstly, he was a native of Louisiana in the United States, and secondly, he was black. These two characteristics of Young Hill will become pertinent, as we will see. So this is 1915. What is a black cattleman from Louisiana doing in Liverpool? And what brought him to the attention of Hangman Ellis? Young Hill, as well as 50 other black men, had sailed on the SS Antillion from New Orleans on the 3rd of July, 1915, with a cargo of mules, and the ship was now anchored at Canada Dock on the River Mersey,
0: which, as you may well know, is at Liverpool. On the 26th of July, there was a bit of a bother
1: between Young Hill and one of the other cattlemen. It all started when about 7.30 p.m. on the 26th of July one of the black cattlemen fell ill. As he laid in his bunk he asked for some water. Young Hill fed some water for him in a slop pail, the sort of thing used in prisons, and he poured the water into a tea kettle. Young Hill then put the slop pail beside a sick man and offered him a drink of water. A certain James Crawford, present at the time, said to the sick man, don't drink that water, it's dirty. I have washed my feet in that bucket. I will fetch some clean water for you to drink. Well, that sounded like a good idea, but young
0: Hill did not take kindly to that interference. He didn't like
1: James Crawford saying that the bucket was dirty. James Crawford then offered to get some clean water for the sick man. And young Hill, not best pleased to hear any worthwhile suggestions offered, told James Crawford that if he were to get fresh water, he would kill him. <sighs> A little stronger, methinks. But ignoring all that threat, James Crawford picked up the tea kettle and headed for the door. The next thing you know, young Hill took his razor case out of his left hip pocket. Whereupon, he opened the case and produced a razor.
0: Now, there's something quite wrong with what's going on here.
1: Firstly, because before the ship had set sail from New Orleans, the captain and officers had all the men, all 50 of them, to hand in all knives and other weapons that they had on them, which would then be returned to them when they reached
0: their destination at Liverpool. So for Young Hill to have a razor upon his person, hmm.
1: Henceforth, Young Hill whips out his razor and runs after James Crawford. And when he caught up with him, he puts his right knee in his back and cut his throat to the bone.
0: He also slashed James Crawford
1: superficially across the back of his ribs. But it was the cut throat that killed him. And that's not all. Young Hill, not content to take in one man's life, was quite prepared to take others because after dealing with James Crawford, he proceeded to brandish the razor and threatened to kill anyone who came near him. Had the man gone mad? Was he possessed
0: by some foreign being? Anyway,
1: this horrible event came to an end when the police were called and with their loaded revolvers pointed at him, Young Hill was arrested. Now, the matter of the razor, Young Hill could not deny that it was his. Well, not least because his name was scratched into the case. However, he tried to claim that James Crawford, yes, had taken his Young Hill's razor from his bunk and had attacked him. So Young Hill was saying that he was attacked innocently by James Crawford. And in the struggle, he, Young Hill, gained possession of the razor and cut James Crawford's throat in self-defense. What a defense! Oh, ho, ho! Listen, folks, not a jury today would buy that version of self-defense, and they certainly did not in 1915.
0: The evidence was quite clear. There was no
1: struggle. Young Hill was the aggressor. He started it. In fact, all the cattlemen on board the ship tried to keep trouble at bay when they saw Young Hill take the razor from his pocket. They offered to borrow it until the next day. They could clearly see trouble ahead and did the best they could to prevent it. So all in all, there was no getting away from the fact. There was no provocation, and Young Hill had ardent intentions to kill James
0: Crawford. That being the case, he was tried and was convicted of murder, and sentenced to hang. Now, as I
1: said earlier, there's a little twist to Young Hill's case, and here it is. Even though he was well and truly guilty of murder, the jury recommended young Hill be shown mercy. Oh. Now, I am not sure exactly what the jury meant by that, neither the trial judge, seemingly. The thing is, if you were convicted of murder in 1915, you hang. But here's the thing. The general feeling was probably the jury meant that if the quarrel, being trivial in nature, was between white men, it would not have led to murder.
0: Really? And equally interesting
1: is that the law felt it had a duty to impress upon foreigners that whatever they may do in their own countries, they cannot do it here in the United Kingdom. And if they failed to abide by and respect the law here, there would be consequences to pay.
0: And so, Young Hill of
1: Louisiana met his death like John James Thornley at Liverpool Prison on the 1st of December 1915. Thanks for listening. I am J.A. Lovelock. Join us next time as we go behind the yellow tape and catch up with more episodes at btytpodcast.com. Hi, podcast listeners. I'm Carol Costello, a former CNN anchor and national correspondent. This January, I'm launching a podcast about one of the first cases I ever covered as a journalist. It's one that stuck with me all of these years, the one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. It's a true crime series about an amazing woman named Phyllis Cottle, who defied torture and death and brought a fierce rage to the quest to find her attacker. Carol Costello presents Blind Rage. as a production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.